You are listening to Relatively Prime, government in the mathematical domain. I am Samuel Hansen. We're right in the middle of that time every four years when my country, the United States of America, focuses very intently on its government. And I mean the whole of its government, not just our elected officials. As I speak, there's confirmation hearings happening. The executive branch is going through the final steps of transition, and there's a bunch of fresh Congress people settling into their new roles. I've always found this period to be a great reminder of all the parts of the government that we tend to forget. I'm sorry, Department of Housing and Urban Development, but in a few months, you're again going to be the cabinet department that I'm least likely to remember. Actually, you're probably going to be right ahead of the interior. I can really never remember the Department of the Interior. But this is all to say that since the United States is focusing so intently on its government right now, I thought that perhaps Relatively Prime should too. In particular, I thought we should spend some time and think about the role mathematics and mathematicians can play in the U.S. government. And no matter what your personal political persuasion is, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm willing to bet that you wish that mathematicians had a place a little bit closer to the center of political action. Well, I'm here to tell you, you're not alone. In fact, there are people working to make this happen right now. One such group are the AMS Congressional Fellows, and I'm happy to bring to you my interview with the 2009-2010 Congressional Fellow, Catherine Crowley. Actually, she's not just a Congressional Fellow. She was also the AAAS Policy Fellow at the Department of Energy from 2011 to 2013. This interview was recorded at the Seattle Joint Mathematics Meetings in January of 2016, where Catherine presented a talk about her time on the Hill and in the executive branch. And for anyone who's worried about being burnt out on political discussion after this last election season, don't worry. This interview happened well before the election was in full swing, and it is not mentioned one time. I started out our interview asking Catherine to explain what the AMS Congressional Fellowship is. So the American Mathematical Society every year funds a PhD mathematician to go work on Capitol Hill. And it, once, once the person has a fellowship, it's up to them to figure out which office they'll work in. And, and then you spend a year writing legislation and trying to pass it and learning the ins and outs of how you, how you do that on Capitol Hill. How about the AAAS one? Those are based in the executive branch. So fellows can be in any one of most of the agencies, like the National Science Foundation, the National Institutes of Health, the State Department, Department of Energy, and so on. And so I was at the Department of Energy working on solar energy in the, their grants office. So it functions a lot like the NSF, which mathematicians are familiar with. We, we put out solicitations, and then we take applications and have merit review panels and decide how to push the technology forward. With the congressional one, you, you said you were trying to, uh, or the goals, you know, policy and all, all of that, and like writing laws, getting them passed, uh, dealing with legislation. For the AAAS fellows, is it um, the general idea for the AAAS? What are they hoping that people get out of those fellowships? I think they might first be thinking about what you're putting in, which is they're infusing policymaking with science at every level of government. 
And then in terms of what we get out, you know, the science community and the math community learns how policy happens and how we might be more effective if there are things we, we think should be different. Let's go to the AMS Congressional Fellowship, and you get the, the funding to do it, and then you have to uh, figure out who you're going to work with. So can you tell me a little bit about who you ended up working with, how, how that came about? All of the, all of the science so society fellowships are folded into the AAAS umbrella, and so all of us together are, are, are there in a class. But the Congressional Fellows are separated out for this interview process that's facilitated by AAAS, and is very organized. So Capitol Hill offices know now that they're going to get a list of fellows and their backgrounds, and we're going to get a list of offices that are interested in fellows, and that starts the matching process. So you start emailing each other and calling and doing interviews, and after two weeks, usually, you have offers and you, you take one, so then you have a placement. I took a placement with Senator Franken from Minnesota. If I remember correctly, he has a bit of a history uh, taking mathematicians on as, as fellows. That's correct. It, he's... He's had three uh, math fellows. I don't know exactly what the reasoning, you'd have to ask him why, but I, I can say that it was a really wonderful office to be in as a mathematician because he and other people in the office have a great respect for mathematics and understand that it's important in decision making. Could you go a little bit more into the, like, the specifics of your, of your job and, and what you really did while you're in Senator Franken's office? So our, I was on the legislative team, which means that we were looking for legislation. Uh, sometimes the senator would propose things. Sometimes other groups would come to us and pitch ideas. But you're looking to gather ideas for legislation that you want to push forward. And then you try to make that happen. In some cases, you write the bill, always with you know, direction from the senator. And you talk to advocates who are very knowledgeable about that issue. There's a whole ecosystem of people that you talk to and that you work with as you're developing this bill. And then you turn your attention to trying to pass it. So then you have to know the inner workings of Capitol Hill uh, and the House also so that you can talk to people who can you know, push the same idea in a parallel fashion over there. So, so then you get into the, the intricacies of how Capitol Hill works. And hopefully you, hopefully you pass your bill. I understand you can't necessarily speak directly for any congressperson, but why would someone in Congress want a math or, or a science fellow? Like, what, what's the kind of special thing that they would bring that your typical person who is, say, political science and might have a bit more grounding in Capitol Hill and the inner workings already just don't have? Well, there's no question that you need a lot of political scientists and, and lawyers and people knowledgeable about the law working on Capitol Hill. But in any decision-making process, you want a diversity of voices. You get better decisions that way. And there are times when math and science comes up. And it's great, I think, for the offices to have somebody that they can turn to. And even when science issues came up that I wasn't an expert in, I had this network of AAAS fellows I could turn to. And sometimes within five minutes, get an expert, you know, some expert advice from a fellow uh, a fellow fellow who, in one case, I talked to a toxicologist who helped me understand the effects of Agent Orange because that was relevant to a bill that was being circulated. So for, th for the offices, we're, we're a resource into an area that they didn't maybe pre previously have expertise for. Could you give me an example or two of times when your, your background helped you make a concrete impact on what was going on? I think any training in science or math or philosophy or you know any any good training in any subject is going to help you just organize your your work and make good decisions. There were a few times when math specifically was helpful, and one of those times 
was when we were writing a bill related to testing for No Child Left Behind. And I ended up talking to a lot of statisticians about the specifics of the test design. I needed to understand exactly how the test worked because I had to answer questions from people who, who weren't sure they were supportive of the bill and what, it, and what effect the testing design would have on students. Probably anybody could have done that, but it certainly was easier for me as a mathematician. Were there any moments where you felt that it was really important that there was you or another science fellow or, or say, a group of you around? Yes, that happened many times. Uh, there, was, there was one case where in a high-level meeting, people were discussing a STEM bill, and they felt like they were trying to decide what should go into a bill to support you know, each of the letters in STEM. And they felt like they had science covered and that they had math covered, and maybe they weren't sure what what initiatives they should push for technology and engineering. And they were sort of ready to move on to the next agenda point in their meeting because they didn't know. And as fellows, we were able to make suggestions. So they were just they were just critical moments where if we hadn't been in the room, things would have happened differently. You had the time on the Hill helping to craft legislation, and then you had this other time at the DOE. How like what were the the big differences in in between working on the congressional side of things versus working on the executive side? So from, an, from a government perspective, Congress is the one who tells the executive branch how they're going to spend their money. <laughs> so then I was on the other side of, of that. In terms of our day-to-day activities, we had very, very specific targets for reaching you know, a level of cost for solar energy by 2020. And so everything that we did was geared towards trying to achieve that cost reduction. And we did that by making grants. So we were looking at different areas like decreasing the cost of solar panels, obviously, but also decreasing the cost of all of the infrastructure that goes into mounting solar panels on, on roofs. There were opportunities there for reducing costs. There still are a lot of difficult questions around reducing costs for permitting and inspection and interconnection to the grid. So there are various, there are various angles that we that we worked from to try to reduce the cost of solar. And we did this by making grants to private industry, to academic groups, sometimes to teams of these people, and anybody else who submitted a good idea. The reason Relatively Prime is able to bring you wonderful stories from the mathematical domain every single month is because of its patrons on Patreon. By pledging to give just a little bit each time a new episode comes out, they help guarantee that I'm still able to bring the best mathematical stories to the whole world on this podcast. And you can join them. When you pledge, you also get just a little gift from me, like access to a feed of bonus content, where you could say here about our guest Catherine Crowley's first mathematical memory, or you can be thanked for your support like I'm about to do right now. Thank you, Jenny Leak, Andrew Hirsch, Biotic, and Carol Jones. Y'all are awesome. It's because of you I'm able to make this episode. So to become a patron, just head over to patreon.com slash relprime or to relprime.com, where you can just click on the support button on the top of the page. Now, let's get back to our interview with Catherine Crowley. How does policy now, at least, I mean, from having actually worked on the Hill and in the executive side of things, how does policy currently affect math, at least from your perspective? The two big areas that we always think of are funding. So a lot of math is funded through the National Science Foundation and, and other groups. 
an education. So every mathematician here who teaches and does research interacts with the product of our education system. So we all have a very vested interest in, in seeing how that is implemented. And so then how, how do you feel that math can affect policy? I'd say two things. Math can affect policy as it directly relates to the discipline of mathematics in terms of funding, in terms of education, in terms of how, how math is used to, to answer questions of national importance. There's this direct connection. But there, there, math also just comes up in all kinds of little ways throughout the day, you know, when you're working on Capitol Hill or at the Department of Energy. And in, the, in those small moments when you have a mathematician handy and you can ask that question, then, then, then there are small changes, small changes in policy that accumulate over time to make them more, more informed. There was a, a time on Capitol Hill when people were pushing to remove the gray wolf from the endangered species list. And there was a, a discussion about, does that make sense? Should we support that or not? And people said, well, there are a lot more wolves now than there were before, so maybe yes, or but may, are there enough? Maybe no. And as mathematicians, you know how to look at a curve of population recovery and sort of decide whether that makes sense. So that, that was one very directly mathematical sort of. Yeah, but what, what was the conclusion after looking at the curve? Well, unfortunately, I, <laughs> the, the, way that, the way that things, Congress may look very slow from the outside, but on the inside, it is frenetic. It is crazy. And so that, that discussion happened when there were many, many other things happening, and we had to make a very quick decision. So I, I actually, I wasn't involved with, with what, what happened. Um, I just, as the mathematician, I, I overheard this conversation and realized that if we had more time, we could look at this. But sometimes you don't have that kind of time. Um, I mean, there were also, there were times at the Department of Energy when we would have grants that we would monitor for progress, and I sometimes would look over them to try to make sense of the modeling that they were doing. And I'd ask questions like, why did you choose this probability distribution for electrical output on this one electrical feeder line? Uh, and and I, we would get into the statistics of, of how they were modeling and, and whether that was the best distribution. And so we just, we were able to have these kinds of conversations. We also would get applications that would involve a lot of mathematics, sometimes um, machine learning was in one of the applications, and that was really a lot of fun to read and to talk to the applicants about. So at the same time, a lot of the applications are have physics and chemistry and sometimes even biology in them, and you have other people in the office who, who are experts at answering those things. So together as a team, we're able to evaluate these applications pretty well. Of the current large political policy issues that are that are floating around, where do you think math could make the biggest impact? I would say we need a, a little bit more everywhere. I mean, there, I, there really were just so many small moments where having some math helped steer a conversation. So there are some big questions, like how to, how to modernize an, our electric grid involves a lot of very deep questions, many of which could be approached with mathematics. And there are there are similar big questions at every agency. You know, DARPA is known for handling a lot of these, and they fund mathematicians to do things. But I, but I would say that, you know, rather than sort of funnel all the mathematicians into the NSA or into the NSF, we, we absolutely need those people there, and they are highly respected. But it would be great to also have them in other agencies, you know, daily informing decisions as they relate to mathematics. Uh, you mentioned the 
couple of places where math is most affected by policy is specifically the funding side of things in the education. What are some what are some things that mathematicians might be able to do in order to make the decisions about those things go in directions that at least they personally think that are more advantageous? That is a question that I wish I had all the answers to. I think, again, it's a it's worth starting with a long-term strategy. It's, it's not something you can fix or change overnight. I mean, I'm a mathematician, so I understand the, the joy in sort of hiding in your office and working on a problem and knowing that, that that really is at the heart of your job and that's really what you should spend your time doing. At the same time, it's just good to remember that there is this larger ecosystem of decisions that are enabling you to do that and, and to not turn down a chance to make connections when you can. So it's not your job, and it's not what you do every day, but at least respect, you know, that there should be more connections between academia and, and policy. And maybe that's not for you, but at least, at least uh, accept that as part of what the math community might benefit from. And if we could little by little build those connections, you know, some people are going to be more interested than others in having in having dialogue across these two very different you know, worlds. Um, but if we sort of accept that as part of what we should be doing as a math community or what we might want to do, then little by little, I think we end up at the table of decision-making more. And that benefits everybody who wants to spend their day proving theorems and teaching their classes. I'm, I'm a mathematician. I do math podcasts. I love mathematics. A bit of a history of yelling at mathematics for being a little bit too happy with itself. Um, it, it, like, I mean, it's, it's the purity and it's the, you know, only thing where we can prove stuff. Uh, and I was wondering if there might be something in that sort of view of mathematics as this, the most pure of all the ivory tower academic subjects that could keep, keep mathematicians, mathematics from wanting to muddy itself in politics. So kind of like we're this pure logical thing and it's, it's, we don't want to go down to this level. Do, do you feel like there's anything maybe absolutely. in that? I, absolutely. No, I think that's, a, that's um, another way of saying what I was okay. trying to articulate. And, and I, the thing is I totally get it because I love the purity of mathematics. So, so this is why I, we're all here. Yeah, I, I studied pure mathematics. Like, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not above this. No, like, not I yell a, about it, but it, I still do it. Yeah. No, it's, it's very true. I, I, uh, as I said in my talk, I, I think it's just a question for us to ask as a community about what our expectations are. If, if we would like to just maintain this, this attitude of, of purity of our discipline and, and be in our offices, then, then that's what we'll do. And, and we'll, we'll be subject to other people's decisions about how much we can do that. So it's, just, it's a question for us. It's, I'm, I, I don't claim to have the answers. I don't claim to know what we should do. I, I just, in my talk, I wanted to raise these questions as things we should decide together. When I think of the people, the public faces in the government that are in the sciences at all, I don't tend to think of mathematicians. You do have chemists, you have physicists. Every once in a while, you get a biologist or two in there. How does that affect the people who are making the decisions? Uh, like, how does seeing chemists and physicists much more regularly than mathematicians kind of affect how things are done? I think a lot of it is just about normalizing people's experiences. So since physicists and chemists have such a long history with the government because of things like the atom bomb project and pharmaceuticals and, and other issues that force, have forced them to talk long before we have, 
because of this, these are the people who, who have made their way into the government over time and are doing amazing, incredible things. Some of these are my friends, and they it's the highlight of my week to sort of meet up with them and ask what they worked on. And usually it's something I couldn't tell you about here. <laughs> but it's, so it's, it's phenomenal. But there's so, so they, they have this history that's brought them to this point. But there's no reason that, that other disciplines couldn't be in the same positions. So again, it's, it's a matter of, of investment over time, of, of deciding whether this is something we want to achieve as a discipline. And I, I, think, I think we should, but I, I'm not sure I would have known how to make that decision before I did these experiences. I, I was wondering if, if maybe part of it is just down to, it's a bit easier to explain what good physics is or good chemistry, or there's, there tends to be a, a little bit more of a, a tangible result, like the Manhattan Project, you end up with the atom bomb. But how, how can we, um, even if we have mathematicians around, how can we kind of help normalize the idea of what good math is, uh, since it more often than, say, chemistry or physics doesn't actually have a clear, applicable goal in mind? You're right. If we had some project like the Manhattan Project uh, that was mathematical, that would make a lot of sense to people, and that would have a big impact. But without that, there's other things we can do. Uh, when I first got to my office, when I first joined Senator Franken's office, I was the only mathematician, and everybody around me was brilliant and amazing and taught me everything I learned about policy. But they, they, they hadn't worked with mathematicians in this capacity before, and there, you know, there, was, a, there was a very short get-to-know-you period in terms of they wondered what I would offer, but we quickly settled into our work, and we even had a hilarious discussion one day about, they asked me to prove all their favorite mathematical identities from high school, <laughs> and it turns out some of them actually knew a lot more math than they gave themselves credit for. So it just in this, this process, and, and just getting to know them, and, and working with them, and being productive together, I, I, I hope, I mean, I, you'd have to ask them, but I, I hope that the idea of working with a mathematician became a normalized experience. And this could happen, this could happen, you know, throughout the government. I mean, the thing is, people don't, you know, people on the street don't necessarily know the intricacies of healthcare, or they don't have medical degrees, but they believe healthcare is important. And we could do the same thing with math. People don't necessarily have to know how, you know, how mathematics works, or, or they don't have to know how to be able to quote any theorems, but they can still appreciate that it's very important. And one way to do that is just normalizing the experience of, of having us in the room. Say a recent PhD mathematician or someone who's just about to get their PhD is, is listening to you right now. Uh, what would be your pitch to them about the, uh, the Congressional Fellowship? Should, should they go do it? Or what people should go do? I'm, I'm assuming that you would think that they probably should since you seem to have enjoyed the experience. Yes and no. I, I mean, I, I'm going to answer this exactly the way I used to advise students when I was a professor. I, I really believe in helping everyone find the, the right fit for them. So if students loved math, I wanted to encourage them. If they confessed to me that they really wanted to be English majors, I would help them figure out how to be English majors. I, I know that's maybe not what you're always supposed to do, but I, I can't do otherwise. And, and I, so I think the same answer applies here. If if you are really curious about national policy and, and you want to understand how to arm wrestle your way to victory on, on the Senate floor, then you should absolutely apply for the Congressional Fellowship. And if, you're, if you wake up in the morning wanting to prove theorems, if that's all you think about, then you should do that. So I, 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 think, I think everyone has to answer for themselves. Of course, if anybody 
thinks they're interested in the Congressional Fellowship, I'd always be happy to, to talk to them and help them understand what it would be like. But the, the way we're going to be successful as a community is if we all find our niche. Is there, is there something about this that I should be asking, but I'm just completely missing? I, I mean, I would just say it's, it's a lot of fun. I, I learned a lot about the political process that I would not have known. Um, I, I have to say I came out having been through many battles and having a lot of scars, but, but even despite that, being optimistic about the political process in the sense that even when things are frustrating and it's hard to get things done, there still is a system, there still is a code of conduct in place that enables progress. And it's worth remembering that the Founding Fathers wanted it to be very difficult to pass a bill. They want it to be very, very difficult to make a law. Imagine how disastrous things would be if you could make a law easily. We would have crazy laws, even crazier than we do now. So it, the, the reason it's difficult is because it was designed that way. And so if you succeed in, in pushing an idea forward and getting a vote on the Hill and making a difference, it's because you brought everybody along in the process. You did everything that was required. You were vetted a thousand times by the American public and Hopefully, you have a good result. And so seeing, seeing how difficult that is, but how, how useful it is that it's that hard, actually made me more optimistic that if you understand the political system, you, you can make it work for you. But you have to take a long view. You can't expect, you can't expect that it's going to happen in one year or, or in one month. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Relatively Prime. I would like to thank Catherine Crowley for appearing on the show. And if you'd like to know more about Catherine or about the AMS Congressional Fellowship or the AAAS Policy Fellowship, please go to relprime.com and check out the show notes for this episode. I also want to thank the musicians Jazzar for making the music that you heard throughout the episode and that I'm talking over right now. You can also find links to their music on relprime.com. Relatively Prime is a production of Acme Science, with support from all of the amazing, wonderful, awesome, super cool, incredibly attractive, and just lifeblood of the earth patrons on Patreon. If you would like to support the show, head over to relprime.com and click on the support button. It would mean so much to me if you did. You can also head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review. That's how their algorithm decides the rankings, and the higher Rel Prime is ranked, the more people who will listen to the show, the more people who will see it and find out that there's wonderful stories from mathematics that they haven't heard but that they want to hear. And if you have any feedback or you just want to say hello, email me at my personal actual email account, samuel at acnescience.com. That's the one on my phone that I check incessantly like 50, 60 times a day. So if you send me an email, I will see it. Finally, Relatively Prime is licensed with a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike license. So please feel free to remix my voice to say whatever it is that you want it to say, as long as you say that those words originally came from Relatively Prime. Thank you for listening. And here is to much more mathematics and government. Together, I know that we can make that happen.